It is. It's my year four colleague plays in the band every so often. He's been streaming music, and I just said to him, Do you think you can create something? He sent me something across. He said, Well, that's all right. Went, that's brilliant. Yeah, superb. I feel quite empowered now, ready yeah. for the ready to rock. Yeah. Sunday morning, not bad at all. No, something to wake us all up with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, how's your so, week been? Well, Yes, yes, it's been good. My bubble has grown from, so I, we started with five, we moved to um, moved slightly more. Now we've got nine and on Monday we'll have 11. And I believe then that's my bubble stopped. But what I found, which is, you know, which naturally happens is every time a child comes in, the dynamic shifts. Yes. And, to, and so I'm quite excited about Monday just having a stable platform where, where we sort of, we've got 11 and that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. How are they feeling coming back? Are they, are they coming back in good spirit? Are they glad to be back? Um, they've got, so the, the initially when I had my first five, first day was very strange. They were really nervous. I was really nervous, but we sort of, you know, got through it. And, and I think, you know, um, I, I laugh and joke a lot with them. And so it's quite, and, and it's, it's a light spirited bubble. Um, and I think what's happened is because they speak to each other a lot on, you know, WhatsApp, DM group, groups and so on, they've reassured each other that actually it's quite nice. So um, the ones that have entered this week, um, one of them said, oh, he said, I can't believe that I didn't want to come back. And I thought, oh, that's lovely because he was really nervous about it. And now he's come back. He's like, it's brilliant. Love it. Yeah. But it, it's been, you know, I think we've gone through the whole learning process of actually what it looks like in a classroom, how you have to, you know, you can't, you've got to stay two metres away from each other. It, it has been tricky, but once they're there for a day, they sort of figure it out. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. How's your um, bubble work? Mine's, again, I've had one more join this week. And as you say, mm -hmm. the dynamics change ever so slightly. Yeah. Um, those that have been in all the time, they're much more confident. And then the one that comes in, it's, it is about getting them used to it and then seeing how everything works. And just our little routine for going to wash your hands and explaining, this is what we do. <laughs> this is how we do it. And make sure we keep that distance between ourselves. Um, and our playground, because we rotate around, we've got four zones in the playground. So it's like, no, we're not there today. We've now moved on. So just all of that that works through. But it's good. It's, I think it's nice for the children that they feel so relaxed as well now. I think that's the yeah. big thing. So, yeah. This is good, good news potentially for September when it all changes and everyone's back again. Yes. Potentially. Potentially, yes. I think it will be. I think, Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. It's that that's easing of nerves, right. isn't it, at the beginning? <laughs> It's, you know, Definitely. I've spoken to a number of parents from my normal class this week um, because I'm a year four teacher but teaching year six bubble. And lots of them have been saying, you know, what's going to happen. And I think the difficulty is that there isn't anything categoric that I can tell them or that I know. And, yeah. you know, and also, you know, what I've found is that my year four children have found it really hard to get their heads around the fact that I'm back in school but not teaching them that they're still at home and i'm teaching them on a google platform but i'm not teaching them directly and i i really miss my normal class love my bubble but really miss my yeah. normal class. 
Yeah, it is difficult because we have to send out videos to talk to our class, but mm. you almost got two heads on trying to think about what you're doing in the day and then what they're doing outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Shall we invite our guests in? We've yeah. got some exciting guests today. We've got uh, um, Olivia. Morning, Olivia. Morning. Hello. We've got Alex. Hi. Brandit. Hi. Hello. Do you want to just introduce a bit about what you do and where you are? Um, yeah, so I am based in London and I'm currently an assistant head teacher um, in charge of character development and key stage three. Um, that's a newly appointed role, um, but the school that I'm at, it's quite a unique experience because it's a startup secondary school. So at the moment we've got year seven, year eight, year nine, um, and then we've got a sixth form, which is a legacy from the previous school model, which was a UTC. So it's quite a unique position because we've got our key stage five students right at the top and then we've got no year 10 or year 11 and then we've got our key stage three students. So it's been quite a learning curve, but that's just a little bit about me and my role. Yeah. Um, I am head of technology in a large comp in Greater Manchester. Um, so my specialism is food. So I'm a food teacher by, kind of by heart, um, but I'm also the LGBT plus lead so about five years ago i kind of developed that role um and i've been able to do amazing things with the kids and the community through it so yeah okay um i'm a year four teacher at the moment i'm in head of maths a year four lead and i teach in a school in leicester uh, with a high number of children from black and minority ethnic um, heritage and also children who speak english as an additional language Thank you. So thinking about diversity and also thinking about how we make sure our curriculum embeds it, have you got any tips or anything that you would suggest as a starting point for people who are not quite sure about where to begin? Yeah, so I think um, the current school I'm at, I'm quite lucky because I feel that in terms of diversity, um, they have prioritised in terms of curriculum. So just to let you know a little bit more about my role, um, within the school curriculum, the students will have um, one period of character a week, and that's a 50-minute lesson, which is essentially looking at kind of diversity, SMSC, relationships, CIAG as well. Um, and it's bringing it all together and I guess giving students a platform to explore these things, but in a lesson format rather than kind of after four. And I think that's what often happens. So I think I've been quite lucky in a sense that the school is saying this is priority. And I think what I'm doing at the moment is I'm planning that curriculum, but also trying to link in other aspects of school so in terms of looking at the tutor time program um looking at the assembly schedule but then also looking at cpd as well and i know kind of prior to this um kind of live chat we were just having a little bit of a discussion about it sometimes it being really difficult for teachers to feel comfortable about talking about diversity and i think it's so important that schools kind of provide safe spaces for staff to have discussion and i think a lot of that needs to take place during cpd so i think it, it's really tough but when before i obtained this post i was ahead of year 
And I just had to go forward and make it known that, please, can I have some CPD to talk about this? Because it's something which staff need to feel confident to have those conversations. Because um, Alex will probably be able to talk to this better than me. But in terms of I went to a Stonewall session a couple of years back and in terms of the work that they did with me on the Stonewall session around kind of terminology, like there was so much stuff that I didn't know. So how can I as a professional be in a forum teaching children when they're probably more aware of langu the language that's used than me? And then it made me think that I'm someone that, takes an active interest in that what about professionals that are working around me that have not even thought to think I'm going to go and find out about this or I'm going to go and find out about that so I think it's so important for schools to make that safe space and if you're a member of staff which feels really passionate about this kind of sitting down and having that courageous conversation being like please can I lead on this or please can I have the opportunity to kind of take a CPD session to make this part of our school culture and ethos. So I think there's so much I'd love to say, but I think that's a real big thing that the starting point has got to be with our staff and we've got to empower them and make them feel confident in being able to have some of these difficult conversations with young people. Can I ask? I've got a quick Oh, I was going to say, you go, you go Toria. <laughs> I've written a few questions down as well, but you go. Um, thank you so much for letting me ask them. Uh, did the shift in your school, Olivia, start with you? Were you the turning point that actually made it made those conversations happen? Or were they already happening? But, yeah. So it's a really tough convers it's a really tough question that Tori because we've had we've had changes in leadership and I think the new leadership is aligned a lot more with what I would like to drive through in terms of the school but also um, when I started at the school, I was head of year seven. And if you're head of year seven in a startup school, it makes you feel like you're essentially like head of the world because there's there's no other, there's no other year group. So like all of these children are like, oh, Miss Saunders is coming and I'm the only person essentially in their world that matters. So I guess a lot of the things that I drove through in terms of the pastoral curriculum has kind of just carried on each year as it's grown so I, I, yeah i guess but i would definitely say that the current leadership that's in place like the head teacher is is aligned with a lot of the things that i believe in so i i completely appreciate that that's not always the case i think the school that i worked at previously that wasn't the case and i i, I found myself hitting a lot of barriers um and i guess you have to kind of think are you going to be resilient and keep trying to hit those barriers and have you got people around you to support you to do that to break it down or sometimes you have got to think about yourself and think is this too much of a tall order for me as an individual so yeah thank you that brings me on to my question actually quite nicely so thank you for asking that because i was going to talk about you can make create safe spaces for teachers but unless they actually engage in those conversations, take advantage of those safe spaces, maybe nothing will change. So how do you start managing the culture shift? Because that's what it takes. I mean, you talked about your head being aligned with you at your current school, but not necessarily at the previous school. So what can leaders do to manage the culture change? And can you manage the culture change upwards? <laughs> if you yeah. see what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so do you know what, like, I think 
I think managing culture shift in itself is it's super difficult and I feel like you've got to come at it from lots of different angles. So I think within CPD, that's obviously as it's something that all staff are taking part in. So it's it's a space that you can kind of have sessions around diversity, you can bring people in to speak. But I guess what I think you've also got to make sure is that it's, it's not just kind of a one-off experience. I feel in order for your staff's culture to shift, they need to feel that in every aspect of their school life. So they need to be walking into assemblies and seeing that. They need to be in the classroom and when they're in the departmental meetings, hot heads of department need to be having those conversations. Like at our school, we even have like a, a staff newsletter, which we essentially have, we have a bulletin and then we have a newsletter for staff, which is a lot more lighthearted. It's centered around wellbeing. Um, and a lot of kind of the entries and things in that tackles a lot of issues around diversity as well. So it's a little bit less like a, you've got to sit in CPD, you must listen. It's more like if, if you're a staff member and you want to have a bit of a voice or you want to prioritize something, it can come through that as well. So I guess, culture shift is tough but i feel like you've got to move away from kind of tick box and just doing something because you've got to kind of thing it's it's got to be coming from all angles and it, that is it is tough it is tough it does have to essentially come from the top but i do think on the ground level um it might be a little bit like what i'm like as a person as well like i'm just relentless but <laughs> i feel like at a ground level you can you can have an impact as well so yeah um, what about you, Alex? With, do you feel the change in your school started with you, or you know, um, how have you got that? Because when I was reading your blog post that you put out, it very much sounded like it is a whole school philosophy now, and that you brought that about. But did it start with you, or was it already there? Um, well, I've been. I, I started in my school when when I was in NQT, so I've been there nine years now, and I was actually speaking to my head teacher yesterday on Friday about this and saying when I first started here I don't think it was as kind of a school focus as what it kind of is now um, and but I would say though it's always been there since I've been here the talk of say LBGT Black History Month um, even kind of when women had started to get into kind of a bit more kind of popularity we were always kind of feeding into, into it into our school because we knew the importance of it um, so I, do, I, I wouldn't say that me and the team that kind of dedicate ourselves towards LGBT have kind of been at turning point, but I do think we would be quite confident in saying that we've done a lot of the work to make it a, a, a huge school priority right now. Um, so it's always been there, which is quite good because our school isn't that diverse. It's in a very um, kind of, we, we have, I think over 90% of our students are white, our, our staff body is white. And I think again, what, what you were saying before about, well, how can a, a white straight person kind of show that diversity? Um, mm -hmm. And I think we can, I, I, I think it's all about kind of our mindset and culture. I think that's what it goes back down to culture. And luckily I've got a really supportive SLT and governing body who wants that diversity in our school. Um, not because, it, and again, like, like what Olivia alluded to, not because we have to do it, because yes, we do have to do it, but because we want to do it and we want the kids to see what a 21st um, kind of century society looks like and is. Um, so I think we've done a lot. I think one of the things that we're quite we're, we're most kind of proud of really is in the local area, especially is that we're the only high school that have got pride flags flying 365 days a year. And that's towards when you drive in and you see that's the main reception. It's an amazing feel. 
um, because when we have students that maybe come to our school who identify as LGBT, um, they can feel quite lost, especially if they're new to the area or new to, and new to the school. Um, but when you see that kind of that little rainbow flag, they kind of get a bit of a glimmer of hope, we hope. So therefore, they feel a lot more comfortable and know that they can be themselves. Karanjit, have you got similar experiences where you are? Um, I've been at my school for 20 years now. I started as a learning support assistant, um, did my GTP there. Um, I think over the years, your kind of children change as the area changes. Um, but it's always been quite a diverse mix of um, children, um, opposite to Alex, not white, but um, black and minority ethnic, mainly Asian, African heritage. Um, but the staff have changed. I think that's one thing. When I first started, I think um, we had older staff, uh, white, mainly white teachers, and now there's quite a shift. Um, I think it's just how it's happened. I don't think it's been thought about, maybe. I don't know, um, but I think it's really important for our children to see different people teaching them. Um, the only thing we've got as a junior school is we've got no male teachers, so that's uh, one issue. But um, over at the infant school, they do have quite a few male teachers when they, you know, before they come up to us. So at the moment, we're just thinking about our curriculum, reviewing it, and trying to ensure a bit more diversity in the curriculum. Um, many of the children I've taught, and I was one of these as a child, whenever they write a story, the characters tend to have white English names or Western mm. names. Um, it's shifting slowly, but you can understand why when they never picked up a book with those kinds of names in. Um, our English lead has bought in a whole load of books. There's some about Aisha, the explorer, um, children who go back in time in history. And I think the children appreciate that because they can see the names that they are used to in the text that are in the, you know, on the bookcase with all the other books that they're familiar with. It's interesting one when you talk about looking at your curriculum, because the curriculum is so much more than English and maths, um, particularly when you get to secondary and you really focus on, on your subject choices. We talk about embedding the diversity within the curriculum. So from your perspective, what do you think needs to change about, for example, history, geography, RE? Like, I probably could go on and cover lots of other subjects where diversity and there are diverse voices. I mean, you can talk about maths uh, and the contributions of people to, to the body of knowledge of maths, for example. I mean, what, what things are happening in your school that you think is making that real difference? I think for a secondary school, um, it's really important to, I think that I, there was a term that I learned last week on a diverse head event, I'll just usualize um, rather than normalize. And I think that's really key within when you are building or adapting or changing schemes of work and within curriculum areas, is that we all know sometimes the best part of a curriculum is when it isn't planned and when you have those tangent conversations with the students. Um, so I know for, for us, for example, um, Yes, we do, like as head of technology, we do try to ensure that we have a diverse representation, but it came from kind of, I think, from, from, from the top down. So what we did was about five, six years ago, we developed kind of a new school ethos and vision, and we named every classroom after somebody within that subject area. Um, and without kind of planning it, it was the students that voted for these names to be kind of, to, to, to be, to, to, for the classrooms to be named. 
And when you look around the school now, you saw so much diversity and it was amazing. So for example, in technology, we've got a classroom named after Tom Ford, openly gay fashion designer. We've got a room after Saha Hadid. We've got a room named after Nadia Hussein. And it was just showing already that diversity is here. Um, and then we were able to then embed that within the actual practices within the classroom. So I know in science, when they speak about HIV and AIDS, they have discussions over the kind of LGBT history of that. Within history, they speak about the Stonewall riots, and they speak about obviously um, the, the Black Rights Movement. Um, within technology, we focus on Joe Casey Hayford, uh, a, a, a black fashion designer. We have an LGBT scene trainer project. So I think one thing that we were conscious of is that and as we all know as, as educators is that time is tight and we don't want to just create extra work for the sake of creating extra work. Mm -hmm. But it was about finding ways and the LGBT team kind of did an audit on, on our curriculum to see, well, how can we just embed it? It doesn't, it's not going to take more time. It's not going to take more effort. It's just giving you some little kind of prompt questions that you can bring in when you are developing your questioning within your classroom to get kids thinking about it in a different way. So in math, we have lots of, of the um, of the arithmetic questions based on um, maybe a couple, uh, two, two men rather than a straight couple. Um, and it's little things like that which go a, go a huge, which make a little, which make a huge difference. And I'm a big believer in little change, large impact. And it's not about trying to do these big, fantastic things straight away. It's about just drip feeding it in, and it will create that discussion. And that's what I personally believe is the strongest. It's the strongest way of learning. It's talking, and it's that discussion that we need. And by those through those little droplets, we can do it. Um, I obviously I can't speak on, on behalf of the primary colleagues, but I think in secondary, I think because we have such kind of specialist teams, it might be easier. But I would I would love to know how kind of primary colleagues work with that in terms of knowing, well, I'm a science specialist, but I don't know how to incorporate it within history, et cetera. Um, but that's how we kind of do it. Little, little, little change, large impact. Yeah. We yeah. have something similar where all our iPad and laptop trolleys are named after key uh, computer scientists. Yeah. And they do come from a range. So we have a trolley called Ada Lovelace and we've got one for Alan Turing. And each of the trolleys is a profile of who that person is and why they are significant. So just that little bit of knowing a little bit about these key figures is really, as you say, drip feeding it in just to make people aware of what there is. Is that the same approach for you then, Karanjit, the, when you're looking at your curriculum from the primary perspective, that it's just trying to see where those small changes you can make now are. Is that your approach or is it, are you doing a big thing? No, uh, we've had a new head teacher and um, so we're doing things, um, yeah, pretty much like Alex, it's small changes where we can. Um, thinking about, for example, in art, uh, when we're picking an artist for a topic, for example, um, a lot of them tend to be male you know, um, from a certain period in history. So it's just thinking, just thinking, oh, um, let's think about the other artists. Where are the female artists in our curriculum, mm. for example, or artists from other parts of the world, not just Europe? Um, because our children and myself, we, our heritage is not here. And they need to see themselves in the curriculum. And I think as a child growing up, um, Perhaps that was always the case and I didn't notice that, um, but I'm keen for the children in my class to see themselves represented in the staff 
and in the curriculum that they are um, you know, being taught. Um, it's got to be relevant to them. They've got to be able to connect to it. Um, yeah. I think that makes so much sense. I do think, you know, we, um, one of the schools I worked in, all of our classes are named after artists. And it en enabled children then to know who all of these what artists were from diverse backgrounds and actually gave them a better understanding. Um, so my question is this at the moment. You're all doing great things in your schools. And there are people listening to this chat that are, that are commenting and also doing great things in theirs. How do we reach people that aren't part of this conversation so that changes are happening, not just in certain schools, but in all schools? It's a big question. Right. People, but I'm just, you know, I think it's such an important thing to consider. It, it's a massive question. Um, <laughs> And I think, yeah, it's it's a real, real difficult one. Um, obviously, Tori, you know what I'm doing around kind of my book chain um, yeah. idea, and I'll I'll just speak I'll just speak a little bit about it, just because um, I think on the back of what happened with George Floyd, I think everyone started to have really difficult conversations if they'd not had them before. And I think for me, kind of as a black woman within my friendship groups, I, I had a lot of conversations with friends that have been friends for like 15, 16, 17 years around issues I'd never explored with them before. And it really prompted me to think, why have I not had that conversation with that friend before? If someone was to ask me, is this person close to you? Do you trust them? I would respond every time saying, yes, yes, yes. So why have I not explored some of the challenges I feel I've faced because of my race or some of the really difficult experiences that I've had because of that? Um, and throughout the conversations, and some of these conversations were with kind of colleagues, teachers, some of them were with um, peers that are in different professions. I kind of, it left me thinking that it's really difficult to expect a response from someone if they just don't understand or they don't have that starting point or that education or even know what you're talking about. Um, and it made me think, what can I do that for someone who's probably feeling this doesn't affect me, I don't really know what I can do, I don't really know where I fit in this, what can I do to support them on their kind of journey? Um, so I joined with a couple of friends who were feeling similar and um, we just started looking at kind of make books we'd read, book titles um, that we thought really helped people understand kind of different culture, different challenges and um, we basically bought a, a collection between us and the idea is that we essentially share the books with kind of our um our kind of social media groups our peers friends um, and we give them the opportunity to say yeah i want to read that book we post that to them um, all we ask is that they they get back in touch with us once they finished it after a month and give us their one takeaway of what they what they took away from reading that book or what they now think in terms of whatever the particular issue is that that book's focused on um, and the book titles cover lots of different things kind of there's culture heritage race it's got history um lgbt 
LGBTQ issues, like it covers absolutely everything. And I guess what we wanted to do is we just wanted to start that conversation with people who have not had that conversation yet, but in a way that feels safe for them, because I think it's really difficult sometimes for people to have the confidence to say, I'm going to have this conversation, because the truth of the matter is, is that we don't like uncomfortable conversations. And there's lots of things floating around kind of saying, um, like, you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. But that is a tall order. Like, you can say that, but that is an incredibly tall order for people. And I guess if, if people can just kind of take themselves away, read a book in a, in a space that's safe to them, their home, have their thoughts, have some time to think about it, and then feel like they can have their conversation in an informed way. I think it will support them in thinking, right, the next thing I'm gonna do might be a bit different, or I might look into doing this, I might read this book next. And I think it's coming back to that, not expecting people to make massive big leaps, but understanding people are on journeys and they're on, everyone's at a different point in their journey. Um, and I guess I've, I've shared this book chain with Edge Twitter. There's lots of teachers that are now reading this book. And I, a, te a primary school teacher um, sent me a photo a couple of days back of the book that she was reading was called Don't Touch My Hair. And from that, um, she kind of just said, I've not been able to put the book down. I've created this, I've created this display within my primary classroom. And it was just, that her feeling, her after reading that book to go and do something like that, that's what we need. And I guess she felt more empowered and comfortable to do that after reading the book. So I guess it, it, it's a really big question, but I think, yeah, that's just something that I've done to, to kind of help people, so to speak. And I think it's can I, really can I just follow up that question a little bit, Toria? Because yeah. I know there is, has been already some movement prior to Black Lives Matters and things like that with the LGBT movement and that their acceptance of diversity around that has been much more widely accepted. This has had much more impact. So are there lessons to be learned from the way that that has come around? And I know there's still a long way to go, not yeah. because it's by no means a done deal, but they have moved forward. Is there is there a path that you can follow in doing something similar for whatever the diversity is, whether it's gender, whether it's um, race, whether it's religion, whatever it is, is is there already a, a pathway there? I mean, Alex, I don't know what you you feel about that as potentially being a, a leader or a, a trailblazer within your school um, as to what lessons could be learned that other people can then follow. I, I think, again, I, I agree with Olivia, really. Um, I think both the, the the LGBT kind of history and Black history have got I've got so much in common, um, and I think when you think of the Stonewall riots, especially from the people like Marjorie P. Johnson, who who was a person of colour, and I think that history needs to be talked about, and I think it is that if you are scared to be to have those uncomfortable conversations, get yourself in a safe space and just familiarise yourself. In my blog, one of the questions was what would you do if there's not, not, not enough visibility or representation in your school? And I think the first thing you have to do is familiarise yourself with it. And whether that's getting a book or whether, whether that's ha having a friend in, who is in one of those minority groups that you can have that conversation with to ask those questions. I think the thing is, when people ask me as, as a gay man about LGBT rights, that's just my opinion. Um, it's, it, I'm not, I can't speak on behalf of the whole of the LGBTQ community. Um, I, know, I know trans friends of mine 
that they want to be asked straight away about their pronouns but i know other people other trans friends of mine who don't really care about their pronouns so i think it, i think it, it is a it's kind of like a tight a tight rope we, we, we obviously we've got to be sensitive all the time but you also have to kind of just have that confidence to speak about it and ask and if you because i think if you're asking in a very very in a very nice way then it, it can't come across as being offensive within our school things that we've done is especially with kind of terminology within within the lgbt community is we've given out like little booklets just explaining all the different acronyms and abbreviations because even as a gay man it's done a lot and and i get confused and i get kind of mistaken sometimes as well and i think it's about being honest with people and saying you you, you might not get it right and um, we we recently had a, a student who was trans um, and change wanted their pronouns to be addressed the way they wanted them. And some staff came to me asking, why did I make a mistake? Why did I make a mistake? And it's like, it's okay to make a mistake. We all make mistakes. We learn through mistakes. But you have to ask that person and see what they kind of want to say. Um, so I think, again, it is a, it's a massive question, but there's loads of literature out there. And I think one of the best things I would say is just, even if you feel in your school as if you can't speak to anybody, I would jump straight onto Twitter because I think Twitter is doing kind of massive work towards this. Um, and I think the minute you kind of type in hashtag diversity or hashtag LGBT, so much stuff will come up, will come up for you to be able to re get, engage with people and, and hopefully through those discussions online, develop that confidence to be able to go back into school and have those conversations with leadership or with students or with your own family and friends. Um, so to me, it would just be kind of reach out more, familiarize yourself. And just, it is really important to try and develop that confidence um, because the minute you have like, those conversations, you are doing so much impact um, for you as a person, but also your school or your environment. Um, so just, just, just do it. Okay, there's one thing around that then. So you talk about the work you do and the work that Libby is doing um, in Karanjia as well. Do you need cheerleaders? If we're going to get this beyond social media, beyond the, as you said, Twitter of good support, what do you need from other people in order to spread the word? Because I think someone's just posted there, only 4% of teachers and leaders are on Twitter. It's a tiny, tiny number. And not yeah. all of them will engage with this sort of conversation even then. I mean, you may say there's the 80-20 split, isn't there? 80% of them will, 20% won't. So how do you get that message to that wider, wider thing? How do we... How do we all cheerlead for the great work that is going on in school? What What is it that we can do to take would, it beyond the bubble? I would say when, when I did the blog last week, I think it came from a question about do you have LGBT leads in, in primary schools? And the percentage was, was, was tiny of, of people active in, in, in their own schools. Um, and I think fr from, a, from a personal perspective, it's about you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do need cheerleaders. But I think it's something proud to be able to say that you're an ally. And I think as part of the LGBT community, the allies are just as important as the people that identify as LGBT. Um, we have an LGBT social group for, for our students and the number of, of allies that turn up that group because they maybe have gay uncles or gay aunties is amazing because it's just showing that there's that support there. Um, we're designing like little badges, etc. So yes, we do need cheerleaders. Um, and I think it's a fair point to say that only 4% of teachers are on Twitter. But in terms of the numbers, that's still a huge amount. It isn't a small amount. You know, it's not, not just four people. It, it'll be over thousands <laughs> of people on that. And hopefully that'll be a big enough spread around, to kind of not even just our country, but the world, to be able to get that out there. 
Um, but I do think even for those 4%, if, if you are on Twitter, it's still having that confidence to go and have those conversations with your leaders or your colleagues or your students and just start talking about it. I think that's the biggest thing I, I would want to say on this on this chat is the more we talk and the quicker we talk, um, hopefully we can become a, a, a more accepting place. It gives you that, converse, that almost that confidence to know that you're not on your own as well. You might be the only one on Twitter in your school, but at least you know that there are others out there who yeah. are having that conversation and you're not there. Uh, and you can turn to other people to get ideas. And I think more and more people are coming to social media. So, you know, over lockdown, so many teachers have come on Twitter, joined it, and are actually becoming part of these conversations. And this is a, gro it's a growing network of educationists around the globe who are beginning to have these conversations and then bringing them back to their school. Karanchit, what, what, you know, how, what advice would you give to a primary school that doesn't have the diversity that you do about how to change their curriculum and the way you are? Um, I think it's about talking and getting everybody's voices heard in a school. Um, we talked about uh, before, you know, do you need that support from the top? I think you need to hear the voices of everybody at every level. Um, otherwise, you're, you're uh, reducing the diversity mm. in your school to a few voices that might have some things in common. Um, but actually, you know, when you have discussions with people in different roles in your school, um, last week I had a talk about uh, Black Lives Matter and what's going on. And there are a range of opinions in a school. And it doesn't always um, feel like Olivia said and Alex, it's not always comfortable having that conversation. Mm -hmm. But if we as educators can't um, face that, then who will? Um, so I had quite an interesting conversation with a group of people at, in school at the end of the day. Um, I was teaching key worker children and they'd gone. And it was really interesting to hear such different um, attitudes, um, you know, opinions on what's going on. And whereas if you're on social media or with your friends, you are in a bubble where you believe that lots of people think the same as you, believe the same as you. And it's really important, even if it's uncomfortable, to hear very differing views um, so that you can challenge things, so you can see that other people do believe very different things to you. And they have a right to believe whatever they want, um, but it might not sit well with you sometimes. So I think it's having those conversations with adults, but also like the philosophy for children kind of um, model of talking to children about things. Really interesting when you use uh, music, books, any kind of um, stimuli, it leads to such interesting conversations where children are very open in what they think. Um, I remember using a Seagull Ross video about fighting where the children are pretending to have a battle and it ended up in a conversation about why there is war across the world and one of the children said it's because some people want everyone to believe the same as them. Really interesting, really deep thinking for a year six child to think that. Um, but that is a difficult conversation to have but it has to happen. You make a good point there, actually, about the, the history um, of things and exploring 
that from as many different lenses as possible and then having those discussions about it. Um, I'm old. I did O-levels many years ago. Um, and for the English, I can still remember one of the books we had to study. We did Light Rise to Candleford, which I found incredibly boring, and uh, The Siege of Krishnapur uh, at some point. But the, the one thing I can remember from The Siege of Krishnapur was the whole reason it started was because of beef fat being used on the cartridges that they had to bite. And that just blew my mind that one thing that people just refuse to understand can create a situation that then affects so many so many other facets I mean, it's like you know open rebellion and, and eventually the fall of the um the fall of the whole raj and everything else which was just like just from one lack of understanding and a refusal to understand as well um so it's having wider conversations about those sorts of things were yeah absolutely eye-opening i think you're right having those conversations as adults and as and with our with our classes is massively important how do you start them though how do you get those uh, conversations going i would personally say um i think it's about making it visible and i think the word the term visibility is, is used quite a lot nowadays i think um but i think it, for me i'm talking really very very literal about it it has to be in your face um, so I think in our school, we have displays. We have, I've, I've brought actually our own kind of LGBT logo. So therefore it shows kind of ownership and identity towards the, the kind of the, 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 the movement that you're trying to make. Um, it also though shows that kind of, we are in this together as a school. So the, the logo is on like a little, a little staff card and every staff member has this in their room. And therefore, it, it, it's normally by the board, and therefore the students will kind of it will just bring discussion over. Well, well what is that? Why, why is it the rainbow? What does the rainbow mean? Why, why are we using that? And again, it's those conversations then will lead to kind of better education and, and more well-rounded views. Um, but so for us, it is that visibility. We have, like I said before, we have pride flags up 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 up, up in the front of the school three, six, five days a year. Um, we have painted bricks of the rainbow all around the school as well. So you could stand anywhere in our school and we've got pretty, a, a pretty large site and you can see an LGBT rainbow brick to show that we are a community and we are inclusive and we are accepting. Um, and I, just, I, I, I think for us, that for, well, for me and the team anyway, that was what we wanted to first do. We wanted to make it visible. We wanted to be able to see it wherever you go. And I have conversations with students who say, well, don't we have a brick for straight people then? And it's about kind of then educating them and saying, well, when, when the straight society have gone through the struggles that the LGBT community have, then maybe we will. But unfortunately, it hasn't happened that way. So, we, so we, we're doing this to represent the history and the future and the present of LGBT kind of values and rights and awareness. Um, so I think making it visible ha has had the right connotations behind it. We've had parents email in, parents comment on our Twitter saying this is a lovely, lovely thing to see. We've had governors again comment on it. It's something that we believe created the discussions and then behind the scene work we then started to be able to put in place and went a bit to, went a bit more smoother. But the first thing we thought of was we need it literally visible in our faces to be able to address it. Yeah. There's an interesting comment below about getting parents involved as well. Have you found that to be a struggle or you say that they're welcoming it? Is that no, um, we, we, we've had we've had some parents that have, have contacted us um, based on their religious beliefs. 
um, and we've had conversations with them. But if anything, it hasn't come from a place of we don't want our child being aware of this. It's more of can you how can you help me understand it? And then I, I can kind of support the school. So I've had several conversations with, with parents that have come in. And as we all know, as educators, when you have those parental meetings, you prepare for them, you plan for them. And you do, for me, in those meetings, it's kind of preparing for the most negative type of conversation. But I was always quite refreshingly kind of surprised of they never came in with a negative view or slant. It was always just, can you help us? Can you point us in the right direction of where can we where, where can we be educated from? We don't know much about the LGBT community. We've got no gay friends. We've got no gay members in our family. Where do we go and kind of educate so we can support the school? So it was really lucky. But then on the other side, even if we would have had parents that were quite resistant, we have an SLT who have made it quite clear that we're not backing down on that. We want our students to be leaving our school to, to, to embrace what the 21st century society looks like. And, that, and this is it. Um, so... I know other schools haven't had that, and obviously we we, we all probably remember the, the, the protest in Birmingham, um, and I, so I totally understand some schools won't have it easy. But I think a key a bit of advice I'd give to them is obviously just again signpost them to the facts and signpost them to why we need this in our schools, um, and hopefully through again discussion and conversation, it, it might eventually allow them to get on our kind of wavelength, wavelength of it. Thank you, Alex. Um, Olivia, have you found that your parents have been very receptive to the character development that you put into your school? Um, so I think on the on the parental note, I think what's really important with parents is I feel like they need to feel like they're part of your journey too. So I feel like obviously I think it's super important to signpost, but I feel like sometimes when you are kind of directing them to resources after you've made a change or after you've made a decision, that can sometimes get some parents' backs up because it's like you've done it anyway and now you're just notifying me or signposting me yeah. to that. Um, so I think if you make parents feel like they're part of the decision um, through kind of parent forums, that's a lot of what we did last year Look, when we was looking at our curriculum, kind of inviting parents in, letting them see what we are doing, but then also letting them give feedback as well. And I think it's really important when the parents are giving feedback for them to see for them to see some things some of those things happen because I think if as a parent you're coming to a parents forum you've got all these ideas you're a little bit upset with how the school's been doing this you, you want this in place if you see some of your contributions then evident in terms of what the school's doing I think when the school's making changes such as big things in terms of adding character development to the curriculum where a lot of the parents were like what 50 minutes of character like what what is my little Johnny missing out on instead of instead that kind of thing but if they can if they feel like they've almost been consulted but in a way where you're just kind of telling them it, it, it gets them it gets them on board so I think I think the parental aspect is really really important and I think as well kind of um, touching on some of the things that Alex said I think it's really important to educate them and give them them opportunities just kind of like how you would with your staff you have CPD I think a lot of the things I'm looking to do next year is invite the parents in and say, we're going to have this kind of training session on this. If you want to know more, come in after school, come and grab a, like a cup of coffee, biscuits and like, let's talk it out. And I think there has to be that transparency between school and the parent, especially when you're making these changes, because you've you have very nervous parents. And um, in some cases, um, 
we've got kind of students that have got parents who are EAL or don't have a good grasp of English. You've got parents who have had a poor experience of school themselves. So immediately, like every interaction, their backs already up or they're like, well, I experienced this at school. So this is what my child must be experiencing. So I feel like you have to fight through all of those barriers. And when you land change on parents which are already might have a poor relationship with the idea of school anyway I think that's when you get that resistance I think there has to be a lot of work on the relationship with school and with parents and I think inviting them in and saying this is a safe space for you to learn too and we're going to educate you too as well as your children I think that's really important. I think you made that key point about listening even if the action is still the same and you do what you were going to do anyway. The fact you've listened and said, yeah, we've taken on board what you're going to say, but actually we still need yeah, to do yeah. this. At, at least they can't say, well, you didn't listen to us because you, what well, we did. It's, uh, it is a challenging point. Do you, do you think, you talk very much about the relationships between schools and parents and their, their community. Is there a case then that, schools are going to have to lead this or is there an opportunity to really get the community involved and lead some of this change as well so you're getting in touch with like your community leaders whoever they are in in the different um different diverse groups you, you've got that make up your whole school community is is there a case to be made for the involvement of of those Karanji, is it right if i come to you because i know you've got a really broad diverse mixed community in in your school in leicester um do you think are you involving your, your community leaders? Um, not at the moment, but like Olivia said, I think consultation is the important thing. With the new um, RHE uh, curriculum coming in, um, if we hadn't had this pandemic, parents would have been consulted uh, about changes. And I think it's giving them a little bit like the difficult conversations with adults that you know and the children in your school it's the same with the parents. You need um, them to be able to ask you those questions. Um, sometimes th their backs might be up because of what they've heard from other people, secondhand information that might not always be accurate. Um, so I think it's really important that you do invite parents in so that they can see what's happening, what you are planning to do, but also answer any questions I think if you've got a really good relationship, um, that community feeling at school, parents will ask you things, you know, quite openly. They trust you that you will give them an honest answer um, because they want the best for their child. We want the best for their child. And yes, there might be conflicting beliefs, but you've got to make it clear that we are preparing children for whatever they're going to face beyond the school bubble. So, you know, whereas although there's diversity we did a school linking project where we meet up with a class um, that is very in a very different area of Leicester so for a lot of our children it might be the first time they're actually playing and talking to children who are non not brown and I think it's ha and you know before we went I was a little bit worried <laughs> I hope my children don't say something wrong or someone doesn't say something to them but they had the best time ever um, they were a year younger than my class and it's that kind of thing, a real community cohesion because in real life they would never meet. They live far away from each other and even the teachers, I wouldn't have met them, we're in different areas. So unless we did a very specific course, 
I wouldn't meet them or know what they're about. And we did some really lovely things. They played together. We had an amazing time with them. And I think it's that children would have gone home and told their parents about that. Um, I did a little piece in the newsletter so they could see. And we had a really lovely time. And for all the concerns I had before, about 10 minutes into it, they'd gone. They'd evaporated. So I think, yes, you do need community involvement. Um, but how that happens and how you stop um, certain members maybe just putting their point of view forward and not listening to anyone else, I haven't got the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of actually being able to communicate with schools in different settings and different things. And maybe through technology, because we're all more aware of how we can use it now, perhaps that is the way that we can start to make links between different communities as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because although now it wouldn't be possible to physically visit each other or go somewhere, um, using technology and uh, passing on information, you find out so many similarities. You know, there is in life, although we might look different things, um, as Joe Cox said, though we have more in common. And I think that's where we, as much as we love diversity and everything, sometimes when you focus on what similarities we have, actually, that's where your connections begin. And then you can explore the differences and the diversity. It's a great way. I'm starting to think about Venn diagrams and yes, <laughs> those in the middle, which <laughs> Yeah. Um, thinking about resources, I know Tori, you've put a, a Padlet together. Yeah. Are there other good resources that anybody would like to um, point or share? Um, is that people put their bits onto the Padlet so that we can all then sort of utilise each other's ideas? Because it, for, for me, for many people, it's it's where do we go to find to find these diverse curriculum ideas. And I know, Alex, you were going to say something about all the resources you've got. Yeah, um, I think the first thing I, I, I'm going to share is to, to try and develop staff's confidence of challenging, say, homophobic language. Um, so because there is that fear of, well, I don't know how to approach that, um, we base our kind of behaviour policy on a restorative approach system. Um, so we came up with five questions linked to restorative approach that then all staff have on the back of, of that card that I alluded to, um, which then therefore they're able to kind of follow almost like a, kind of like a little script. Because even though for a lot of staff or educators, they might have that confidence for the people that don't, it's just a good starting point for them to ask the right questions and forget to get that young person to think, well, why have you used that language? And do you understand that it, it will have an impact on that person, et cetera? And to get them thinking of, 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 of basically the error of their, of their ways. Um, we, we've done loads in terms of kind of challenging that. And again, I'll, I'll share resources that we've used in our internal exclusion and um, resources that we've shared with staff for CPD with on terminologies or acronyms um, 
and it's all and, and again the more we the more we share it it's keeping people informed so we have it all on, on our lgbt page of the website so parents can access how we do it and what we use and, and powerpoints that we use in assemblies or choose a period sessions and i think again kind of what we've all kind of said about keeping parents involved and giving them that kind of that say and they've already, it's there on the website for them to have a look and see exactly what their child is, is seeing um, and listening to from that's being delivered by staff so um that's the fair thing and i think if, if all staff have that confidence to challenge and to develop and to have those conversations then that's the fair thing i'm going to upload is that those range of questions that hopefully people could try and implement within their own school practice fantastic and Livy, you said that you were going to pop some bits on as well about character development yeah of course so um it it's it will we it will essentially be brand new because I am writing the character curriculum at the moment. So I am writing the character curriculum for year seven, eight, nine, and ten, um, and then I'm writing the tutor program alongside that as well, along with assembly schedule. Um, so I will put all of that on there. Um, I think a real great resource that has helped me with bringing that together um, is the Jubilee Centre. They have got some fantastic resources on their website, um, and they talk a lot about the importance of character and building children's character and I guess that is one of the biggest functions of character development to kind of enable students to feel comfortable to have conversations for them to appreciate diversity um, but ultimately to go out in society and be able to flourish and if they're able to do all of those things they will um, so I will signpost people to that website it's a fantastic website and once I finish all of my resources I'll put them on the padlet because I think it's a fantastic idea. Brilliant. And um, Brandit, is there, are there any bits that you could pop on to support other primary schools? Um, so um, I went to the Reading for Pleasure Open University Conference in November, and one of the workshops I went to was about diversity in books. Uh, so I'll have a look through what you've already got on the Padlet and add to it. And the other thing I would add is the things from the school's linking network, uh, which arranged uh, the kind of match with the differing a school in a different context. I think they've got some really good resources on there just to think about your identity, um, children thinking about their identity. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. A great start, everyone. And, yeah. and let's hope more people, you know, add their stuff as well. well I think it's been a fantastic um, hour's chat. It seems to have flown by as well. So <laughs> thank you to uh, our three guests, Karanjit, Alex and Olivia. Thank you for sharing as well, all your experiences with us as well. No problem. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you. And hopefully I will try and get this um, converted into a podcast and then that can be broadcast as well. So others can watch and listen as well if they want to. So watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Thank you very much. Bye.